a casual podcast for serious gamers. Welcome to the This Gamer Podcast with me, Chris, and... Me, Ashley! What's the podcast? Ours. Casual for serious people. <laughs> oh! Oh, right, okay. Yeah? We're not a serious podcast for casual gamers, are we? No, I don't think... I don't know what we are. I feel like sometimes I get too intense for this to be a casual <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay. Okay, well... Uh... Sorry about that. Sorry I've triggered you. No, it's not your fault. It's it's mine. I need to tone it down sometimes. All right. I was talking to you about our Pokemon Smile episode prior to this uh, recording and the fact that it was just me going, it's not a game. Yeah. No, why, why are you doing this to me? It's not a game. That's your um, way of listening to it. Well, in so much as I want to hunt down <laughs> you uh, and and do bad things to you, because you brought me to play. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Uh, you know, that, that's it. I'm already getting there, aren't I? We're not even two minutes in and I'm telling you that I might yeah. have to come and find you. Get angry. Something wrong. Well, I was going to ask how you are, but I can tell, I can tell you're, you're riled up. Um, so I hope the listeners are I'm not okay. riled up. I'm no. not riled up. Yeah, not much. I'm not. All right. I'm not. I'm fine. Okay. I'm Good. fine. Good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I genuinely am very. I'm genuinely very good. I'm riding good. a high that's lasted about nearly a month now. So, right. yeah, How, are you all right? Yes, I am. Thank you. I am good. good. I'm very excited for today's game. So I want to get straight into it because there's a lot to talk about with this game. Oh uh, my gosh! This week we are doing this game where you dodge barrels. It was released in 1981, and it links. Oh wow! Links to Seth Rogen. Yeah, I mean it's Donkey Kong. Yeah, it's Donkey Kong. And Seth Rogen is voicing Donkey Kong in the uh, Mario film that Chris Pratt is playing Mario in. He is. I, I thought that would yeah. be a bit of a curveball. I thought that would stymie you more than it has. That's a bit disappointing. Yeah, sorry. Well, yeah, you should be. Yeah, Donkey Kong. We're doing Donkey Kong. Now, there's a reason cool. we're doing Donkey Kong. It's because, he says, reaching over, because of this. Oh, you've been reading your book? Yeah. So, uh, obviously, the, the so it's my fault. Well, sort of. Obviously, a listener can't see what I'm waving, actually. I'm Call waving um, a book that he got me for Christmas called How Nintendo Conquered America, Super Mario. I'll, I'll, I'll do that again in the right order. Yep. It's called Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America by Jeff Ryan. It's a book. It um, came out uh, a few years ago, and it only goes up to 2011. I think it's in need of a, an update. Maybe there is an update. I don't know. I've not looked. But it's it's absolutely amazing. Like I was so gripped by this book, the history of, of Nintendo, because it, it's really well written. It's it's mm. not it's it goes into kind of the minutiae of, of Nintendo and gaming itself and Mario as a character. And the whole point of the book is it kind of it's it's seen through the lens of Mario as a character that how Nintendo has has built, and it's done in a way that's not dry. It's done in a way that's really engagingly written, and I just I just found it absolutely fascinating. Some of the stories that are told in this book as well, I, I just thought it was great. So if you listen to this podcast, as I said at the start, you're you're clearly into your games. I would highly, highly recommend giving it a read because it is it's amazing. It's so good. Okay. So what I'm getting here is that the premise of this episode is a thinly ve- you're doing Donkey Kong as a thinly veiled um, excuse to talk about this book. Is that right? No, no, not at all. No, that, that's oh, okay. that's my plug for the book done. No, I, reading the book, it made me realise. I, I I don't think I had realised or appreciated just how important a game Donkey Kong is. 
Mm. in terms of gaming, in terms of Nintendo, in terms of the Mario character, for it is the, the first game that Mario appears in. And I felt that because I'm riding the high after reading this book, I thought it'd be a good chance to kind of do Donkey Kong a bit of uh, homage. Justice. And, and justice, yeah, exactly, and, and, mm-hmm. and play Donkey Kong. Uh, it's a game I've cool. not played for probably the best part of 25 years. It's something I used to play at my childminder's house on her NES. Uh, it's a bit, right. of, like, a bit of a recurring theme in the podcast. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I haven't played it for about the same amount of time, probably, because the only time I've ever found it in an arcade, and that's the only setting that I've ever played it in, was uh, down Skeggy, down okay. Skegness, in the, is it called Pleasure Beach there? Yeah. Yeah, so they had a little area, I think I've probably talked about it before, where you could pay 50p or something like that up front, and you got into this space that had crazy mirrors and um one of those walls that you could stick your shadow to and then in another corner of this space they had four or five classic arcade machines one of which was donkey kong the the other ones were like space invaders and gallagher and things like that it was all from that era and you could play them for for free once you paid your 50p everything inside was free i thought that was a good day very good value for me yeah yeah so that, that was the first place that i ever played donkey kong and I probably was about nine or ten years old. Yeah, it's the same age as I was uh, when I was playing mm. as well. Have you played on anything other than the arcade at all? Because that's the important no. point. No. So, nope. you've played on arcade. Oh, well, I say that. I, I've played um, I've played most recently on the Switch Online service. Okay. And now that's, I believe. That's an interesting point there, a point that just needs mentioning, because I played it on the NES, you played it on arcade. The versions are slightly different. The Okay. When Donkey Kong released on the NES, it came out in July 1983 as a launch title for the NES, and apparently the guy that created the NES actually wanted to, to make the NES specifically for Donkey Kong to be able to play on it because of how much he enjoyed Donkey Kong the game. In order to make it fit on this cartridge, they had to remove a cement factory level. And also there are some cutscenes, which I'll talk about a bit later on. There are some... Uh, it- the cutscenes had to be removed in order to fit onto the NES cartridge. Now, cutscenes is a very grandiose title. It's just some animations. It's nothing, nothing fancy. But obviously, there, there are those differences there. So the arcade version and the NES version are seen as being slightly different. And as you've mentioned, the version that's on Switch Online is the NES version. The arcade version is available on the eShop to buy for £6.29 at the point of recording. Oh. So you have got there's two separate versions as a kind of a a, a nod of the, the head towards that, I suppose. So mm. while we have played the game, because we've played it in different iterations, it's going to be not massively different, but there are going to be some differences. Okay. Okay. So what I've done for this first half is I've brewed the history of donkey kong uh, there's a whole chapter in the super mario book i've brewed it down to kind of the, the the headlines i guess because i found this really interesting now listener if you're interested and you're thinking i don't want to listen to this then you are more than welcome obviously to fast forward how long it takes me to do through his history because i appreciate this might not be everyone's cup of tea and that's absolutely fair enough yeah maybe i'll put some time stamps in here yeah that's fair enough yeah at the same time you have chosen to listen to an obscure podcast that is <laughs> The title is episode one, two, four, Donkey Kong, Nez. Yeah. So if you're not, if you weren't interested, that was probably the time to bang out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'll maybe stop backpedaling and just kind of go for it, shall I? Mm. The the history of the game. So in 1980, Nintendo had had success in Japan. I wanted to break America. So there was a game called Radar Scope. Have you heard of Radar Scope? Um, not really. No, not, not that I know of. Radar Scope was pretty big in Japan, and Nintendo decided that this was the game they were going to break America with. So they 
ordered the creation of 3,000 radar scope arcade cabinets. The game then performed absolutely terribly in America, so 2,000 of them ended up being recalled and put in a warehouse somewhere in America. And Nintendo were looking at something, you know, what is 2,000 cabinets, what are we going to do with these cabinets? And they wanted someone internal to design a new game that would use those cabinets with kind of the, the circuitry that was inside those already. And eventually a 29-year-old Nintendo artist who had designed, interestingly, designed the casing for some previous arcade cabinets from Nintendo One, and that person's name was Shigeru Miyamoto. I did not know that he'd done art for arcade cabinets before before that point. No, I didn't. Is that what you were waiting for me it to... It was. I was waiting for a... Whoa! Whoa! Ah, well, I knew, that, I, knew, I knew that he made this, so... Right. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, Radarscope Wasn't had... a surprise. <laughs> Radar scope had one joystick and one button, so whatever game was put in these cabinets needs to be as streamlined as possible. And Nintendo, at this kind of point, you know, looking at what they're going to do with these cabinets, they initially wanted the replacement game to, for whatever reason, tie in with the live-action Popeye film starring Robin Williams that was being created at that point in time. So they wanted yeah. a, a Popeye game. Now, the reason I think, because I... I thought that was such a strange choice. So I did a bit of digging into why that was. Apparently Nintendo, about 20 years previously, had done a bit of kind of um, dipping their toe into other markets beyond gaming. And they'd made some Popeye ramen. And they were also working at this point in 1980, they were working on a Popeye game and watch. So they therefore had a bit of a grasp of the brand and presumably a bit of loyalty with whoever owned the rights to Popeye. And that was their their reasoning, from what I can tell, for why they wanted a game starring Popeye. Okay. So Popeye the film uh, in itself is a strange thing. It's a musical. It stars Robin Williams. I remember watching And it's directed by Robert Altman. I remember watching it when I was about 10 and thinking it was absolutely dreadful. Because I used to quite like the, the cartoon when I was I was younger. I don't remember, remember it being a musical. And Robert Altman, um, how do I know that name? What's he done? He made the MASH film, for one. Right. He uh, The Long Goodbye. The suicide is painless. That one. No. <sighs> Carry on. I, I want to, uh, was there anything else you can say about the Popeye film? No, it's no. just that that it's a strange. It's a strange. It's a strange entity. Yeah. Thinking about Popeye, Miyamoto realised the characters. He liked the fact that there was a barrel-chested hero, there was a large hairy opponent, and a tall heroine in need of rescuing. And there's a quote from the book I've got here: the fact you've got the the underdog. There's a reason for a quest, and there's a sympathetic villain. So during development they decided to take those key elements and turn them into what became Donkey Kong. And actually, as a sort of side note there, this is the first damsel in distress game, sort of a a, a broad church, I guess. But uh, this this is the first one where the char- your, your character that you're playing as had to rescue the, the damsel in distress. Mm, okay. Bluto, the villain from Popeye, became an ape. The reasoning for that was that apes are not too evil or repulsive. The game became named... I always thought that that was like some kind of allusion to King Kong. Yeah, that... Yeah, hold your horse. I'm going to talk about the whole King Kong oh, thing sorry. in a bit. No, no, it's fine. Um, I think 
I think from what I can tell, Bluto became an ape, as as I said, to not be because it wasn't too evil or repulsive. And then it was then kind of right, what do we then call this ape character, which is where the whole King Kong thing came from. Um just before I talk about the, the King Kong, the reason for that, uh, the game they, they decided to name the game after the bad guy because they wanted to mirror Space Invaders, which had received a lot of popularity. They wondered if the naming of that was one of the reasons behind that. They also wanted it to have an English title in order to be easy to sell to North American gamers. Mm. And they were absolutely desperate at this point in time, Nintendo were absolutely desperate to emulate the success and beat the success of Pac-Man in America. So it was kind of, you know, really nailing every kind of colour to the mast. How can we possibly beat Pac-Man? Which is where Donkey Kong mm. came in. Um, so you've just said about the name. I'm going to load up. There's a really interesting paragraph on Wikipedia about the, the name where Donkey Kong came from, because there's not like... A particular there's not like a story this is why donkey kong is called donkey kong there's different kind of uh, urban myths i guess as to, to where it came from so one of them is that the game was originally meant to be called monkey kong but was misspelled or misinterpreted due to a blurred fax or bad telephone connection another story is that miyamoto looked in a japanese english dictionary for something that would mean stubborn gorilla or that donkey was used because it conveys the idea of stubbornness or something being silly and mm. kong is apparently common Japanese slang for gorilla. Okay. So that's where Donkey Kong came from, the fact that Kong means ape in Japanese. Mm. You've got the... So that's, that's Donkey Kong himself, the, the character. Then the other two characters, the Olive Oil and Popeye characters, I guess. The Olive Oil character, the damsel, was initially called Lady. The wife of someone at Nintendo of America was called Pauline. So they decided to... Or Polly, I think it was. They decided to name her Pauline in kind of homage to that. And then the character was called Jumpman during development because that was really kind of leaning into the Pac-Man aspect, having that man uh, suffix on the end of it. Yep. He was called Jumpman because there was just one button to jump. As I said, you've got your joystick and then your one button to jump. You can, as past the game, you can pick up hammers and then the button that you press to make Jumpman jump then becomes the hammer button. The reasoning being because with the hammer, he then can't jump because the hammer weighs him down. And I think that I thought that the hammer was automated. Maybe it depends on the version. I don't know. Because in my head, I thought it was automated, but I don't know if maybe there's been games since where you pick up a hammer, it just goes bash, 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 and then it disappears. Yeah, that's what I thought it did, like a power up. Yeah. But maybe that's something that will come out. I guess we're going to find out. Exactly, yeah. With the hammer as well, the theory was that Jumpman, they designed him initially as being a carpenter, which is why he's got the overalls on. That's why it's mm. a hammer in the game. Um, there's Again, there's a bit of... There's a bit there with the limitations of the console, though, the arcade cabinets, I guess, was these blue overalls. It was something that they could use to make the character pop out visually as well. And um, so there's a bit of history behind Mario there as well. I'll come to why he was called Mario a little bit later on as well. So at this point in development, Nintendo really liked the, the design of the game. They liked the, the idea of death, meaning that you can retry the level until done, because that apparently tapped into kind of Japanese culture and the idea of something being, you know, the fact that... that something you keep trying it until it was finished they, they were quite keen on that idea persistence and perseverance yeah yeah i guess so and with the idea of jumpman being a carpenter they decided to create the game with this construction site setting which 
you know, you've got the barrels, you've got the design of the stages are kind of like girders and that, that uh, leads mm. into that construction setting as well. There's also ladders in the game as well. I don't remember this particular. I remember being more jumpy jumpy than ladder climbing. But No, with... there, are, there are definitely ladders and oh, some of them yeah. are sort of broken ladders that you can actually right. cling onto if you've got too many barrels coming at right, you. You can okay. sort of grab hold of a half ladder. Yeah, you're right. I remember that now. But the, they, they put the ladders in because to give the player a bit of choice or dilemma because some ladders are safer than others but they are further away to, to get to so you've got that element mm. there you know do i risk it jumping with more barrels to get to these ladders or do i so basically is it do you go for the quick but difficult path or the slow but easy path and they also crafted the game around the idea of choice because players could play it to go for the high score or they could try and beat the clock and they wanted to give different players different options in how they uh, attacked the game I suppose that's quite nice I've never really thought about it in that way but yeah. I can see it well I think we talked before about with Sonic that we talked about the idea of the score in that being completely pointless and I think that's maybe a hangover from this kind of gameplay design the fact that you, you different players can have different ways through the game and maybe with Sonic the score was just something that just never really interested me which is why I kind of ignored it but yeah we won't I won't I won't wrap it on about the sonic thing but the conversation that we've kind of had on that is that um the marketing of the game and the rem- the memories of the game don't really match up to the um systems in the game mm-hmm. but if you look at it in the context of giving different players different options then i mean that actually sheds quite a positive light on what i see as a an unwinnable tension in sonic unnecessary as well Mm. yeah yep and and obviously at that point it's maybe a good uh, point to reference the documentary from 2007 king of kong a fistful of quarters starring steve weeby and billy mitchell because they were trying to go for the high score in that have you seen that documentary i've never watched it no it's really good it's really interesting Mm. hasn't there been some controversy since yeah so since the documentary in 2007 in the last think seven or eight years or so some adjudicators looked into it and turned out the billy mitchell who came out kind of so the, the, the whole documentary is about these these two competing to get the best donkey kong score ever versus each other and billy mitchell won and people looked into it a bit after the fact it turned out that he was playing a hacked rom or some sort of emulation or something like that that mm. basically meant it was skewed a bit more in his favor so he got stripped of the title ha <laughs> what's that there's a line in the third monkey island uh, game cheaters never win and winners never cheat that line always stuck with me mm. it's probably not even a monkey island thing it's probably just a proverb but uh, that was the, the first it's also not true it. no cheaters win all the time but to win is cheat cheaters win even oh god i got myself confused now yeah y- yes, don't know let's not think about but it too much miyamoto wanted the story to be like a chase through the construction yard so an animated sequence appears at the start of the game and also between levels to give an element of story and plot he also interestingly composed the music for the game right i, I didn't know he was a composer i thought he was just kind of a, a designer and programmer i didn't know he had musical chops as well i think it was jack of all trades sort of yeah um, definitely approach it, just for everybody in that sort of time making games and that's also possibly why you get some quite chunky musical riffs on some releases so maybe yeah everyone's sort of having to throw their cap into all of the arenas yeah so fast forwarding a little bit to kind of early to mid 1981 the game donkey kong is now ready for release and nintendo have now got the massive job of 
um, rebranding the Radar Scope arcade cabinets to have the actual Donkey Kong game in them rather than Radar Scope, but also the actual artwork on the cabinet itself. Obviously, going through up 2,000 arcade cabinets is going to take a long time. So the release of the game was very staggered, but it actually kind of worked in Donkey Kong's favour because it had this word of mouth thing where people were talking about it in one area of America and then people in another area of America, it sort of gradually kind of spread over and, and that that actually has worked in its favour. Initially released in July 1981, but had a very gradual release over the rest of 1981 and initially performed very poorly as well. And it was a hard sell compared to the maze and shooter games of the time. And the secret of the game was it looked easy and it very much tickled that just one more go itch because it was easy just to feed another quarter in, another quarter in, another quarter in. So throughout the summer of 1981, Nintendo are then working, beavering away in this warehouse, rebranding the 2000 radar scope cabinets and putting the new game boards in. At some point during that summer, the owner of the warehouse showed up to angrily remind Nintendo about the rents that they still owed on this warehouse. The warehouse owner had a moustache and was very angry, and his name was Mario. So in tribute <laughs> to him, the character from that point onwards, Jumpman, became called Mario. Okay, so they named they named their hero after their landlord, who was a, an angry man. The story in the Jeff Ryan's How Nintendo Conquered America is it seems a bit apocryphal to me, is that he was so incensed by the fact they owed him rent that he almost jumped up and down on the spot and there was some sort of comment about how it was like Jumpman with the moustache that he's got as well. Like I said, okay. that, that seems a bit dubious to me. But Possibly. But that's where the name Mario comes from, is from the guy who owned the warehouse that Nintendo were had these 2000 radar scope cabinets in that were mm. being rebranded Donkey Kong. Cool. I genuinely I didn't know that I hadn't really thought about where Mario got his name yeah but yeah good yeah. story and there's kind of a, a coda to this in in that chapter which points out quite rightly that you know, the history of Donkey Kong the fact that Donkey Kong is regarded as being one of the earliest if not the first platforming game is the first Mario game as such the first Dance in Distress game had massive 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 success none of this would have happened if Radar Scope had performed well yeah out of the ashes and all that absolutely the game has only got four stages, but they repeat over and over, getting harder each time. In terms of that, just to clarify that idea of stages, the game is comprised of four stages that are grouped into levels. So you play through the first four stages, one, two, three, four, and that's classed as level one. It then goes into level two, where the first those levels, those stages, I should say, repeat again, but this time it's five, six, seven, eight, but they're slightly harder. Maybe there's more barrels or there's a ladder missing. Then you mm-hmm. then go to level three. So you've then got nine, eleven, twelve, but they're harder again. And you rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And the idea is that you're going through the construction yard chasing Donkey Kong. And that level one is 25 meters up the girders. Level two is 50 meters up the girders. Level three is 75 meters. Level four is 100 meters. Then you're then 125, etc. Apparently in Smash Brothers, there's a, a stage that is Donkey Kong. And it's called 75 meters. And that's why it's a reference to the fact that, you're, that they're getting 75 meters up the construction yard. Okay. Level 22 in the arcade is called the kill screen because there's a programming error means that Mario immediately dies after four seconds. That's obviously way, way into the game and not many players, I imagine, would even get to that point. Um, We've already talked about at the start how it was ported for the NES in July 1983, but it was also ported from arcade to pretty much every single console at the time. The Atari 2600, the Intellivision, Commodore 64, Spectrum, etc. I found that quite surprising, but then realised, well, of course it was, because at this point Nintendo were just... uh, 
a software developer they weren't porting to their own hardware so uh, they yeah and they're very limited software developer as well so absolutely yeah and just to link back again to how i played it i my last memory of playing it is in the mid 90s i found it a bit simple but very very enjoyable so i'm, I'm quite looking forward to, to playing it today with all that history behind it but also uh, um as a as a, a jolly good platformer okay cool let's go Donkey Kong, a classic. I have some things to say. Don Quixote, a classic. I also have some things to say. Have you read Don Quixote? Are we talking about Don Quixote? You want to talk about Don Quixote? Mm. You haven't read it, have you? I can see it in your face. No, I haven't. No? Okay. Well, Sorry. Don Quixote is pretty good. Is it? But very long. Yes, yeah, genuinely very funny. And... um bit long though bit a bit long uh, and that and i mean a bit long as in it could have done with a good a good edit a good trim yeah what about donkey kong yeah though? donkey kong not very long no you sure game yep talk to me i think it's great I, i've been really impressed by playing it okay but i've only actually got one why i've only got one negative about it which i think in the second level is a little bit sexist you mean oh second and third? Oh yeah, Ham- you're right. Handbags yeah, and umbrellas. Yeah, there's a couple of cl- optional collectibles uh, to pick up for Lady slash Pauline that are a pink handbag and a pink umbrella parasol thing. I think it's a bit. Mm, mm. Well, I I people have handbags and people have umbrellas. Yeah, and I, and I get that it, it's an easily identifiable. You know, this is obviously belonging to her. And Mario Jumpman is picking it up on the way through the construction site. I get that, but yeah, if anything, that's a somewhat progressive or semi-progressive early eighties uh, depiction of a man. In so much as I certainly remember Fair. that there are that there was comedy, actual comedy, even in the early to late noughties based around a man carrying a woman's handbag for her. Really? And that being, yeah, do you, do you don't know of jokes being told about that sort of thing. No, that's... No. They usually they usually come off as somewhat homophobic uh, a lot of the time and uh, also misogynist and not very good jokes most of the time. But they, they certainly were being told and probably are being told even today. Well, when you compare it to that, yeah. okay, fair enough then, it was a Nintendo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I wasn't really thinking that, and I, I, it's a bit of a flippant response to what you're saying. I'm just not sure that it's all that sexist to have those as as pickups. Am I overthinking it? Possibly. I don't know. Maybe I'm underthinking it. I really don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. It's it's a very it's a very minor quibble. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Hang on, sorry. Just gonna... I would say. I I think. If anybody disagrees, please do let me know. I'm happy to listen. But other than that, I thought the game was an absolute cracker. I, I, I really liked like everything about it. I thought the gameplay was spot on, some lovely music, fantastic animation. Like Mario, when he gets to the top of the ladder, there's a couple of frames just to show him kind of getting to the top and climbing off the platform above, which I really liked. Uh, some lovely um, gameplay concessions where when you when you pause the game, all the sprites 
for the barrels or and Mario and anything else on the screen apart from Donkey Kong, I think, they all disappear. So you, you can't use that as a way to kind of plan what you're going to do next. But then when you unpause mm. the game, there's about a half second delay before the game actually starting again and that allows you to kind of get your bearings again i think that's a really smart gameplay uh, decision i remember playing i think it was the third guitar hero did that and it felt like a tight countdown yeah it felt like a real progression of the series because up until then if you had to pause during a song you then had to get your bearings and you'd end up losing those points or whatever whereas yeah. the third one it did the thing where it rewound slightly so you could get back into the groove of the song before the notes started appearing again and it felt a bit like that here just the, that that way they thought about how to make the game accessible to people mm. yeah maybe yep appreciated i think i i'm going to probably not surprise you and uh say i'm not overly taken with donkey kong oh. and even when i was playing it in the arcade oh. it was my least favorite oh, of the machines and that hasn't changed what is it you don't like about it then we should maybe actually so, just at that point before you launch into what you hate about it we should maybe just clarify we've played the nes version tonight so it is the three levels as opposed to the full four levels the nes version yep. does interestingly as well have a two-player mode which i wasn't aware of uh, having despite having played that uh, my child mind does it does also have two difficulty levels as well so there's a couple of nice concessions again to the the, the gameplay there as well yeah okay so hate is a strong word and i don't think that it applies here I find, though, that the game is frustrating. And on that, and, and before, I, uh, before I go on, all of this has to be contextualized in that I had a Nintendo, a, a Nintendo Entertainment System. I probably, by the time I played Donkey Kong, I probably had a Nintendo, um, had had a Nintendo for about four or five years. And I was very f- familiar some people would say over familiar with both Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers 3. And they are very different affairs when it comes to Mario games. Um, and I was also aware of Donkey Kong being like the first Mario game. Uh, this is also previous. My first goes on the arcade Donkey Kong would have been prior to me playing Donkey Kong Country. So I don't necessarily have that baggage bear weighing me down but i certainly do have the long 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 shadows being cast back through time of super mario brothers and super mario brothers 3 so when i come to donkey kong all i can feel or not maybe not can feel but all i do feel is that they that it is a less smooth platforming uh affair and it's not even just the way that he moves it's not the way that he climbs it's uh or, or the way that he jumps over barrels it's even there, there are little things that i just think shouldn't happen like if you jump level two is a perfect example if you jump ever so slightly too far down you will die you will lose your life mm-hmm. so if you climb up to the top say on the left hand side of the so in level two for anybody that hasn't seen donkey kong there are platforms moving up and down on a on a pulley system and you can climb up the left hand side to nearly to the top of the level and then you can jump onto the platforms from there if you drop off that platform you will die and that does not happen 
in Mario games, no, in Super not. Mario Brothers games. If you jump from the top of the level to the bottom of the level, you'll survive mm. as long as you don't fall in a pit. And I feel like that was a good decision to have made going forward in the in the Mario series. And so coming back to uh, coming back to Donkey Kong, it feels a bit jarring that you fall to your death even from a sort of a two Mario's height. If that makes sense, yeah, I had that happen. Um, yeah, so, I had the same kind of reaction, thinking like, "Oh, that seems a bit, a bit unfair." I su- unfair. I suppose you could come at it from the point of view of it being an arcade game, and that they're trying to make people feed the machine money. Yeah, but that I, that is not going to win any arguments in my house. No, trying to rinse people of money no, that's, that's is. Uh, yeah, I I've never really enjoyed that aspect of the arcades, although I do understand the business need or business, maybe business desire more than need. I don't like that as a game choice, as a design choice and everything because I was so familiar with Mario Brothers and uh, series, everything feels like a, a worse version of that. And I guess you've said about it standing in their shadows and those are such long shadows. Um, I, I, I had a similar sort of thing with them. Um, not, not really the same sort of category game, uh, the Spyro series. So I first played Spyro 2. I thought it was absolutely incredible. Still do really like it. I haven't played the remaster relatively recently. Then went back to the first game. The first game, it's just got all these kinks and things that were then ironed out for the second one. And it felt yeah. it felt bad going back to the first one after the second one. Yeah, I, and I acknowledge, I completely acknowledge that it's it's quite unfair. But it's also inevitable. I was a child, I, I was born in 1988. I got a Nintendo very early in the 90s, very into computer games from being very young. And that was my first console. And I got Super Mario Bros. Super Mario Bros. 3 with it. I didn't know Donkey Kong existed when I was playing Super Mario Bros. Super Mario Bros. 3. And it, because I was about three or four at that point, I think probably about four years old. um, At that point, I wouldn't have been interested in it either because things have just moved on. It, it's the inevitability of the progression of time. It's the inevitability of time moving on, isn't it? And it happens now. The great sand sort of, falling through your fingers. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I bemoan it a little bit now, I, or, or I commiserate over the fact that there's a good chance that a lot of kids growing up now that are out getting their jollies from Minecraft and Fortnite and uh, everything that kids love now. They're, they're not going to touch Super Mario Brothers or Super Mario Brothers 3. It's, it's available for free to a lot of them on their Nintendo Switches, but they probably never played it and will never play it. And if they ever did go back and play it, they'd go, uh, why haven't he got a shield? <laughs> why, where's, his, uh, where's his shield potions? Uh, I don't understand this. This is rubbish. Why is he only moving left or right or, or, or something? You know, it's... It's the it's just inevitable. I was a victim of of Nintendo's success in that way. So yeah, it, it's it's clunky and bad, but only in relation to the games that I I gotten to know and love, and that's still kind of how I feel. I can't help but I can't really break out of that no, thinking. That's, that's fair. As I said, I I think it I think it still stands up. I think it's it's got really good gameplay, and I think it. it I mean, obviously, it's not comparable to Super Mario Three and Super Mario World because they 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 iterate on it so much. But I think you can see the the grains of, of where the character went and the gameplay went from this. Definitely, I, I, I'm, yeah, I've been really impressed with it tonight. When I was at uni, I did a course on English literature, and as part of that, I did film. And 
as part of the film element, I did silent cinema. And seeing cinema in its embryotic uh, stages, sort of in the late 1800s into the early 1900s, and then seeing where it ended up even just sort of 30 years in, I think this is where Donkey Kong and its ilk sit. It's the it's the one reelers, maybe. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's sort of uh, the the analog to that would be a one reeler, which is a film mm-hmm. of about ten or fifteen minutes long that that fits on one reel. Which is about the gameplay size of this. To be fair, the NES version. Anyway. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah, um, but they were often. Even the ones that were pushing the boundaries of cinema, uh, they were, they weren't always the best. They weren't always. They were still clunky in other ways. So even even comparing, say, a film of the early twenties to a film of the nineteen hundreds, you could see the you could see how quickly the uh, the industry grew up and grew into its form, and that's what's happened here. I feel like Donkey Kong. Yes as an artifact of gaming, is laudable and and interesting for that fact. But in terms of the landscape of the 2020s and whether I am happy going back and playing it for, for giggles, I don't think I am. I don't really enjoy it. I enjoy it from more from an academic perspective yeah. than I do. Yeah, than I do the actual enjoy enjoyment of watching of playing it. And, and I completely agree with that. Like you know, I really enjoy playing it, but I'm realistically I'm never gonna go back to it or not not gonna go back to it for some time anyway, just because it, it's so. It, it's just it, it's like you said, it's that place in history. It, it's gaming finding its feet, but but that's that is more of a curio, I guess, or an artifact or something. I, I'd say artifact more than curio, but. I, the other the other test that I sort of put these games to unofficially when we're talking about them and when we're considering what is worth playing now is whether I would try and introduce a child to it. Mm-hmm. Well, your daughter, perfect example, your daughter. I wouldn't give this to your daughter. No, I think she'd because get I think, frustrated quite quickly. Yeah, but I would, and I know you have, I would give her early 90s platformers. Yeah. You've tried her on Sonic. I know she hated it because yep. she's got good taste. But I would definitely, even though I've said that I'm not sure it would go down well with kids now, I would still give. I would still put a child in front of um, Mario Brothers or a Super Mario Brothers. Certainly a Super Mario World. Like I can see Super Mario World. A lot of kids really gelling with that. Yeah. But would I put Donkey Kong in front of a child? I don't think no. I would. No. And I think that's a good test for where it sits. Yes, it's interesting historically. No, it's not interesting uh, to play now. Unless you've got that nostalgia, unless it was your first game, the same way that Super Mario Brothers was one of mine. Moving away from the, the gameplay itself, that I kind of looked into the uh, the lineage of Donkey Kong, because obviously, uh, going back a bit, a bit to what you said a little bit earlier, I think my daughter and certainly I think children nowadays would be more familiar with Donkey Kong as a character in Mario Party or Mario Kart rather than actually starring in in, in his own game. So I looked into kind of uh, the history of Donkey Kong uh, himself or itself. Uh, the, the game itself, it came out on absolutely has come out on absolutely everything since. Interestingly, it was available as an unlockable in Donkey Kong 64. 
It also released for the Game Boy Advance e-reader in 2002, which is something I'd never heard of. Yeah, I, I've heard of the e-reader, but I've obviously never seen one. So it was available in Japan and North America, and basically it was cards on, uh, well, the games put on little sheets of card that you then popped into the e-reader and then mm. the, which is very very clever and mm. nintendo then also released it as an actual cartridge for the game boy advance in the classic nes range because i think early noughties and again this crops up in this this book i've been reading about how the early noughties nintendo really went through this whole thing of of relaunching that old game so the mario titles were re-released on the game boy advance yeah um, but they, they they released them not in order so it was called was it called like, Super Mario Advance? That was it. Super Mario Advance One was Mario Brothers One, but then Super Mario Advance mm. Two was Super Mario World, and then they mm. went yeah. So it's it all over the place. Um, I've mentioned the pricing where it is currently available in the first half, but just to repeat that it's six twenty nine on Switch, which is the arcade version, and the NES version is available on Switch Online. Obviously, it's not available on PlayStation or Xbox Live or whatever. As of twenty fifteen. All versions of Donkey Kong, so this one game, no other you know, Donkey Kong 2, 3, etc. This one version of Donkey Kong is estimated to have made Nintendo $4.4 billion. Yeah, unsurprisingly. Yeah. yeah, amazingly though. And Donkey Kong has since gone in, well, in total, has starred in... Since this game came out, there have been 24 subsequent Donkey Kong games at the time of recording, most of them platformers, but I wanted to mention a couple of good ones. So Diddy Kong Racing and Donkey Konga are a couple of games that I've played in the Donkey Kong Pantheon, which I really, really enjoyed. Yes, please. Yes, please. Both going to crop up on the on the podcast. Fantastic. The direct sequel was called Donkey Kong Jr. and is interesting for the gameplay element in that they reversed the roles. So in Donkey Kong Jr., you played as Donkey Kong's son, Donkey Kong Jr., who was trying to take on Mario, who was the bad guy in this, because Mario had captured Donkey Kong, presumed after the events of the first game, and then Donkey Kong Jr. is out to save his his, his pa, which I think is quite nice. Yeah. Gameplay-wise, it's quite different as well, because you're sort of moving it, across... to be honest. Okay, I think it's on the Switch Online. I'm pretty sure that okay. was where I played it most recently. And you are climbing up vines and sort of trying to move across these vines from left to right and then right to left. Right. Is it good? Or again, um, or again is it just like... I, I'll be honest, I can't really... I can't remember right. whether it was good. I've only played it in... As, a, as you sort of... You use the word curio. I've only really played it in that sense, sort of as a... I'll I'll check this out right. so that I've I, I've experienced it. Fair um, so yeah, no no real judgment. So that, and I've only played it for a handful of minutes, probably over the over a few years. Fair enough. Then um, the the last thing to kind of uh, talk about is the thing you mentioned in the first half about the whole King Kong thing is yeah. the lawsuit that Universal Studios launched against Nintendo after this game came out. Are you aware of this? No. Oh. No, I'm not, but I can imagine. Yeah, well, it's, it's again, covered, this is the last time I mentioned it, I promise, it's covered in great deal in the book, so again, I've I've sort of summed up the key points of this story. Um, there is a whole page on Wikipedia available, if anyone's interested in reading about it, you know, it's obviously so noteworthy, it's got its own page on Wikipedia. Just before I, I launch into, into the story, I think it's also interesting contextually to think about how Nintendo World is now part of Universal Studios, so just kind of yeah. bear that in mind going forward. So basically, the headlines, 
When the game after Donkey Kong came out, Universal threatened Nintendo for infringement on the King Kong character. This was in April 1982, on the basis that the name of the character and the plot of the game is similar to the name of the character King Kong and the plot of the film King Kong. Universal asked for $5 million in royalties in order to basically dismiss the lawsuit and keep them happy. Nintendo ummed and ahed for a bit about whether to go for it or not and then decided to say, no, you're all right, and took them to court. When in court, Nintendo hired a, uh, a young hotshot lawyer called John Kirby. While in court, Nintendo's hotshot lawyer that they'd employed to try and make this all go away, John Kirby, he brought up the fact that Universal had previously, in 1975, sued RKO, who were the original makers of King Kong. Um, and part of their defence was that Universal proved that it was a public domain character because the movie was from 1933, so anyone could do what they wanted with King Kong. Therefore, John Kirby argued, if we are doing something that is referencing King Kong, Universal have no rights over that at all. It's anyone's. Mm. And the judge completely agreed and took Universal to, to town in, in his uh, closing speech, apparently. And the case was dismissed. And then the ultimate irony of this whole scenario was that Universal at this point had uh, owned Tiger Electronics, who made this little handheld electronic devices we've talked about a few times. Yeah. Tiger Electronics have produced a handheld electronic game called King Kong that ripped off Donkey Kong. Oh, cool. <laughs> As part of the judge saying to Universal, yeah, basically sling your hook, he said that Universal had to pay Nintendo the license fee for this King Kong handheld electronic game. And in total, Universal ended up having to pay Nintendo's legal fees and this license fee it came to over or roughly $2 million. Okay, so they tried it on, they got taken to task, and then they got shafted as well yeah. for for being bad guys. Yeah, which I thought was a, a fun little story. And as as yeah, and Nintendo was so grateful to John Kirby for his hand in all this that the character Kirby ends up being named after him. Yeah, which I did know, and feel like maybe I've brought up in the past, but I don't know if I knew the ins and outs of why John Kirby was actually legally involved with with nintendo so thank you for filling in those gaps i think it's interesting that we've got these these two characters like mario and kirby they're both named after actual people in nintendo's history i think that's that's remarkable one a goodie and one a baddie yeah true depending on which way you look at it i guess yeah mm, mm, cool yeah and they get and that's, that's donkey kong that's that's that um uh yeah excellent thank you ever so much so thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed that potted history of Donkey Kong as much as I enjoyed finding out about it. Again, this is the last time I'll talk about it. The book is called Super Mario How Nintendo Conquered America by Jeff Ryan, available at all good bookshops. I should uh, You don't need to I should get some commission from you, shouldn't I? No, probably not. No. Alright then. Um yeah, thank you again for listening and obviously same time yeah, same time next week, not a fucking radio show. Thank you for listening. Next week, it will be one of Ashley's games. In the meantime, if you could join us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and remember to like, share, subscribe, rate, and review. A moth has just flown in the room as I've been saying that. How scary. We got attacked by moths the other day. It's one of those... I know this is probably not the best way to end the podcast, but we we got attacked. Like, there were giant moths. They weren't... Not giant, giant moths, but they were too big to not be bothered by and then one of them flew at my eyes 
One of them flew up my eyes, tried to rake them out with its legs, then Shots went at Hannah, hands. and I had to I had to bat it away. And um, I I picked it up, but its body felt really crispy, so I had to I had to like readjust my positioning on its on its hind side and chuck it out of the door. It was grim, but there were three of them. There were three of them in the room. A coordinated attack. It was horrible. Well, if that doesn't make you want to listen next week, then what will? Thank you again. See you next week. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.